The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you guys about the MLB Roto Baller Challenge, hosted by our friends at Fantrax on Fantrax.com. Fantrax is the most customizable free fantasy baseball platform in the industry, and that's why we're hosting over our 2022 Roto Baller Challenge over on Fantrax. If you want the greatest fantasy experiments, sign up for a free Roto Baller Challenge team today by going to rotoballer.com backslash challenge. All leagues are free to join, and you get to compete against Roto Baller writers and readers for a shot at $500 cash grand prize. All new Fantrax users get entered into a free giveaway to win a signed official MLB Wander Franco jersey. If you want to get entered to win a Wander Franco jersey and you're new to Fantrax, go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and sign up for your free Fantrax account today. Once you have your Fantrax account, go to rotoballer.com backslash challenge to join the challenge league. But go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to create your Fantrax account. Be entered to win a Wander Franco autographed jersey. But for now, welcome to Benched with Bubba. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 449, coming at you again off schedule due to MLB's schedule. They have been crazy with the hot stove these days. We knew it would be. Uh, it's about a new show every two days because it's going nuts, and we'll see how the schedule goes to keep that up because we still have Freddie Freeman and Trevor Story and Carlos Correa and more goodness, and, and the A's and, A's and Reds still have half their team to trade, so we're good there. Uh, but to help me break down the news since Sunday and Monday, again, just 48 hours of, of news, We'll give you a whole hour probably of content. You can find him on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. He is writing at the athletic skplaybook.com and the base is loaded podcast because George Montanez holds him up over there. Mike, my friend, the creator of the spring training lineup document that saves the world. How are you doing? The intro is 
very, very uh, kind of you, Bubba. Way to talk me up just for me to knock everyone down in terms of expectations. <laughs> and you weren't wrong. George is my better half, and I'm proud to admit that. Yes. Now, uh, for those that haven't figured it out yet, after all this time, Mike and I are really good friends off the air as well. So uh, there will be probably sarcastic jabs throughout the, <laughs> throughout the episode as things go on. But uh, Mike, plug what you got going on because you do have a ton. And again, the athletic for those that missed that in the first part, uh, big boy doing big boy things. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. No I'm kidding. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, obviously. Uh, you mentioned the athletic. That's where my weekly spring training articles are going to be in terms of lineup stuff. So you can find those there. I got a couple other articles. Also, I'm finishing up for it's like you said, it's crazy. Got the spring training lineup chart starting Thursday. Not sure how much tangible news we'll get so early on. And I think some teams are more ready than others in terms of showing their hands. So that'll be fun to watch. But all throughout spring training, every day it'll be updated. My and I think the big part there is the notes. I do keep a running tab in terms of notes and trends I'm noticing. So there's that. Um, what else do I have going on? SKPlaybook.com. You mentioned um, the chart is housed there, but I just kind of put the link for easy for easy access out there on the Google Doc. Uh, but I got that going on with George. We cone that together. Got a Discord server if anybody's interested. I know I'm really selling it. Um, <laughs> I, it's just like you said, like there's so much running through my head because it's like I do have a lot to do, but at the same time, it's all kind of I should be ready, right? Like we've had more than enough time. And I'm over here like, oh, man, <laughs> it's all just piling up the more I think about it. Yeah. It's, it's a ton going on, and it just doesn't stop with all this recent news. And the lineups will be coming out with spring training starting on Thursday. I already saw Stroman tweeted out he's starting in Scottsdale against the Giants on Friday. He's pumped. Uh, it's We're, we're going to be – like, I saw a bunch of clips. I watched – I follow Giants, like, all social media platforms. I was following all of their videos from camp and everything. I'm just like, oh, this is freaking awesome. We are back. It is happening. Good things. Uh, I saw someone post a video of uh, – because now reporters can go in the locker rooms for the first time in a couple of years. So they went to Ozzy Albee's locker to do a, what they call a scrum, for those that don't know. And Ronald Acuna jumped into the locker in his clothes and kind of played peekaboo while they were reporting. It was like just fun little things that we've missed for so, so long. So um, we'll see what happens. But let's get into the news, as there is tons of it. And uh, there's news, there's actual transactions. But we're going to start off with the biggest news, at least to me, that took place on Monday. Fernando Tatis Jr., could be out up to three months with a wrist injury that might require surgery because of a motorcycle accident. And when asked about uh, the accident, he said, which one? So that really makes you wonder what's going on there. But we already had shoulder concerns. Now he's got the wrist out three months. At least we know he's missing time. Um, what are you doing with that teeth? Because luckily, knock on wood, I didn't want to touch him anyways in drafts. But this is a clear drop, drop, drop. Yeah, I, I have a hard time figuring out where to take him. And then it depends on your format. Do you have an IL spot? Because he's the ultimate IL stash for sure. If it's NFBC where there's no IL, that's a hard stash for three months. And that's assuming that all goes well because he hasn't even opted for surgery yet. So Tatis, not, not only did he not want to get surgery for the shoulder, he knew he hurt his wrist. And he and I think he tweaked it or felt it when he was doing hitting drills like a month or two ago. And I guess the doctor looked at it and mentioned that it wasn't a new injury. So it seems like he's just been putting off surgery for that too. I don't know if he just doesn't like surgery. You know, some people just don't care to be put under. It's a, it's a thing. People are scared of that. So maybe there is a mental aspect he needs to overcome in terms of getting surgery, but I don't know what to expect. I, I think I'm just going to let other people kind of take on the risk. I, I do admit that Tatis, even for just three months is a league winner, 
but I just feel like there's a lot of ifs ands and like what ifs and it's like it's all adding up to like um I rather try to just go another direction. I think he's gonna drop to what maybe round pick a hundred plus at least yeah at least. i would think it depends again that's why i say it depends if you have an il spot because if you have an il spot around pick like 150 tatis looks really intriguing because like oh i could stash him but we all if we've learned anything over the last couple of years il stints are going up at a, at a wild rate so if you have limited spots it might be hard to justify holding on to somebody that you're hoping for three months at this point it sounds like yeah, and that's the tricky part. You're hoping for three months. Uh, Nick Savale, who writes a lot of injury news for fan tracks, had a great tweet. He said, hey, yeah, uh, if you're going under for the wrist, why don't you get the shoulder while you're in there? And, you know, it's a serious question. Like, if he's doing it, and if he gets the shoulder, that could mean a whole other thing. Like, we could have a longer layoff. Um, there's always the concern with wrist injuries that the power doesn't come back right away. Uh, like, Matt Olson is one of the few that's broken that thing. That was a hamate, not an actual wrist fracture. Yeah. So, um, it's it's going to be real interesting. Like I said, he was already kind of off my draft board to begin with because I was going elsewhere at the top of the drafts, and this will just kind of move him off of me for good. Um, if you want to take the chance, I get it, but I'll be passing on Tatis. And it's just more importantly, it's just bad news because he needs to be playing baseball. He's good for baseball. Oh. And his agent, uh, I think Matt Williams said it in our DM, we have the agent needs to tell him to stop talking because there's probably opt-out clauses for like motorcycle accidents or some way the Padres can get some money back. So you might want to like bite your tongue and go take some notes from Jeff Kent and Madison Bumgarner on what not to do off the <laughs> field. So uh, go yeah, check that out. I um any chance I I didn't really pay attention to this. Is it the same arm that the wrist and shoulder are now affected on? I want to say yeah. I want to say yes, but that's not a hundred percent. I backed. I am not. I'm sure. just, I want to say it's both the right side. That's what I want to say. Because if it is, that's a little less concerned. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic here. Yeah, you don't want to have concerning. both both sides of his body worked on. Yeah, yeah like yeah, like yeah. now you have one wrist on one arm bummed out, one shoulder on the other arm bummed out. Now you're like, oh. <laughs> this is just not good <laughs> like, yeah i get you there i get you there but uh it'll be interesting i'm curious to what they do they probably won't do the, the the shoulder but i'd recommend getting the wrist if i was him because just for power for defense there's a lot of things that could take place and um i guess we'll fantasy spin this one this means kim kim could be getting a lot of playing time um any interest in him lots of multi-position eligibility for the Padres. Um, I know Toby loved him in DCs as like a late target for the multi-position and he's a believer in playing time. I was kind of wondering where it was going to come from. Well, Tatis gave us that option here. So you got House Sung Kim, who, you know, roster resource has him still batting ninth, which is crazy. And that obviously roster resource has a lot of things to, to figure out with after they use, you know, the SK playbook uh, roster from spring training. But um, any interest from Kim, who we saw tear it up in the KBO was okay towards the end of last season, but wasn't great. Yeah, first off, of course, the, the shameless plug I greatly appreciate. But um, that's the problem is uh, I don't see – there was really no signs of life. You mentioned like he showed a little bit, but a little bit for him was batting 194 in September and October. So it's like I want to bet on a year after you know coming to the majors, kind of getting used to the major league atmosphere. I want to think he could get better, but realistically – you never know. Look, Susugo was a guy that came over from in the, from that from over there, and it took him a few years to figure it out. And we're just assuming he figured it out over the final month or so of baseball. Yeah. After, and he came over on a weird, you know, the whole 2019, 2020. It was just a weird situation for him. So maybe that's what hurt his development. But these guys don't always pan out. But considering where he's going in ADP, the multi-position eligibility, of course, I'm interested because now there's playing time and a and a clear path to it. 
last year it was him tip, him as in Kim typically getting those reps in the infield in terms of like when there was an injury or if there was a day off and Profar usually in the outfield. I'm not sure if they'll let Profar maybe take some of those reps in the infield now. So there is something to watch there in terms of maybe Profar getting in the way. But I, this team wants to compete. Do they not go sign somebody? Like, do they not say, screw it and go get a story, which then they can kind of move story over from one, like from one position to another um, when Tatis is back or put Tatis back in the outfield, stuff like that? Yeah, I said go go sign Story or Correa, and and a bunch of Padres fans are like, well, our top prospects are short stuff. I'm like, that doesn't help you this year. He just and came they, back from a serious injury too, so he's yeah, not- I was like, I said, you put Tatis in the outfield when he gets back, like limit the damage on the body, like go put him out there, go go grab a shortstop. They still are rumored to be trying to trade Hosmer and Will Myers. Maybe a shortstop comes back in that deal. So I, I agree. I don't know if Kim's the the full answer here, but they did give him a shot. He had eight homers and six steals last year. If he could somehow like get up like a 240, 250 in a comfort zone thing, you could get a 15-15 type production out of Kim, which is it's quite intriguing. It's like there's a lot of ifs, of course, but we mentioned where he's going in draft super late, which will rise a bit, but not a bunch, I don't think. So it's it's interesting. All right. Um, let's talk about Matty Olson to the Braves. Manuel, I see your question in the chat. I will get to you shortly. Uh, Matt Olson to the Braves. This is a, a surpriser for many because, you know, Yankees fans thought it was a done deal. Braves fans are now just acknowledging the fact Freddie Freeman is gone. But Matt Olson to the Braves. Thoughts? Um, sorry for my little one chiming in. His phone died, so he brought it oh. to me. Um, I usually put them on their tablets and stuff while we record. That's responsible of me, right? Um, yes. <laughs> no, they're my, they're, um, their mom's home today, so it works out. Anyway, uh, enough with the rambling. Um, back to Matt Olson. You got to think it's nothing but positives for him. I mean, I understand a new uh, a new division. There's that whole adjusting to new pitchers, but in today's game, I don't think it's as big of a jump because of all like they have all this technology and all this stuff that helps replicate pitches from pitchers. So it's not like it's going to be as big of a as massive of a learning curve as it used to be to come over to a new division. And these days with free agency, players change every 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 which way. But he's going to a better. Uh, better ballparks in terms of that whole division. He's uh, Matt Olson's going to a better team, more lineup uh, support. He's going to bat right in the middle behind, especially when everyone's healthy behind Acuna, Albies, and company. It's going to be um, and who knows if Azuna might. I think he'll sandwich Azuna and and Albies just to give him a left, right, left, or right, right, left, right to kind of put that lefty bat in the middle. Although Albies is a switch hitter, but regardless, um, I think it's nothing but positive for Olson. But unfortunately. It should it's it shouldn't affect his ADP, but I think it's going to, and I think you're gonna see Olsen jump up a little bit, and I don't think that's the right move necessarily. I just think I think if you're drafting Olsen, you were already kind of baking in the fact that he was gonna be traded, and almost like your boy uh, Rodon, kind of the same argument. Like you were you were never fading the skills. You knew he was gonna sign, but of course, just like Rodon, he went to a very favorable situation compared to the one he was in, free agent to being signed in the, in Rodon's case, but. Um, that's ultimately, I just, I think it's all positives. I just don't think the ADP should rise anymore because there is a chance he's still just that three category producer in fantasy. And that skill set isn't that hard to come by, especially at first base this year. And that's the thing. I agree with all that. It's, it's obviously a better move for metals and to change the, the ballparks and, and everything else, even the division will have better ballparks as a whole to go hit in uh, tougher, tough pitching in the NL East. I will admit that a lot of tough pitching, especially that team in Florida, but um, 
I am curious to see where he goes in the lineup because I agree he should be in the middle. Roster resource has him second. That's why, again, roster resource is great, but it's not the end-all be-all because there's I find it very hard to believe he's betting second in that lineup. But uh, we'll have to wait and see there. And I agree his ADP should go a little, but he's still going to be the third guy off the board. And I haven't been drafting him all year anyways just because of, of the price, and I like to get steals or another pitcher or something in that range. So he's been off the board for me, but the dude can, can beast out. Um, what I want to ask you, because the Olsen part's pretty simple. Like That's just that's awesome, great, yes. The A's. Like We were talking about this, the barf draft when Bassett got traded. We talked about I talked about it with Matt Williams on Sunday, just kind of speculating because we, Olsen was already rumored to get traded. Chapman's on the block. We got Montas. You got um, Manaya. Everyone's available, it seems like, in Oakland, pretty much. Now, when you look at the A's here, are there any buying opportunities you like? Like Seth Brown is going to play first base. He's already going to play DH a bit, but he usually plays first base, plays some outfield. He's got some pop in that bat. You know, Chad Pender should play every day now. Eric Thames enters the lineup. If Chapman gets traded, it opens up maybe times for uh, even more players. Anybody that kind of interests you, because most of those guys I just mentioned right there are all free in drafts. Yeah, and Seth Brown's been a guy I've been all over just because I thought there was a there's already a path of playing time via the DH prior to all these moves. And as this team tears things down, you mentioned Brown is now plugged into first base, which makes sense. But I think him and Thames, depends on who plays a better defense, can alternate at first base. But Brown, Thames, if you're in a DC, makes a lot of sense because there's playing time there and it could be empty power. But Seth Brown isn't much different than that. But you, I mean, I've been very vocal about being on Tony Kemp. Bad lineups still produce fantasy value, and Tony Kemp is projected and has been projected and even did so last year in terms of leading off. He's been Everything's been leading off, and you give me a guy leading off even on a bad team can still get you upwards of 80 runs. He can hit 260, 270, get you double-digit stolen bases. Last year, you, I think he did 8-8 eight and eight in limited playing time. So I think 10-10 and 10 and 260 is realistic with 80 runs, and that's nothing special or flashy but you can get him where he's going in drafts again, very, very deep league target. And I think that's almost a low end. Like he could steal more than 10 bases and stuff like that. It's like you start, you have to start picking out the value here. Chad Pinder, I'm really big on, and he should play every day. I think he's a lot of fun to chase the upside with it going even later than Kemp. I think there's a lot of, it's almost like the pirates of last year. If you remember, if you go look at the pirates of last year, the top three in that lineup, I think Reynolds Hayes and and not in order, but Reynolds Hayes and Frazier, Frazier and Reynolds were going like outside the top 300 plus on average. And it was a big thing of like, hey, don't forget these guys exist. And Frazier, even though in the second half he fell off, he was really good for you in the first half and he was a free square. And Reynolds, we all know, had the huge bounce back. Um, But I think this is a similar situation where there's some like Andrews can run still, Kemp can run. There's still some speed there late. Oh, Seth Brown can hit home runs. Thames can hit home runs. There's power there late. Pinder can give you a little bit of everything, nothing flashy though. It's just one of those things that there are skill set specific players on this roster that you can put on your bench in the reserve rounds for deeper formats that will provide value at times in the season, especially as you go through injuries and all that. 100% agree. I've written up a handful of these guys in late DC targets for uh, Rotoballer this year. And I love Tony Kemp, second base outfit eligible. He's got legit 10 10 upside with more. Like, there, there's a lot more he could do there. He's going to lead off. Like, that's value. We talk about it time and time again. And, you know, the filthy souls of the world and others have really brought it to the forefront that innings pitched and at bats, those are like so crucial. As long as you can accumulate those two things, you can accumulate stats. And the A's, like you mentioned with the Pirates, bad teams still produce fantasy stats. And uh, you got Kemp. 
Uh, Brown could get you 20 to 25 home runs. Thames can do Thames, things like we've seen. Steven Piscotty still technically starting. He's late as heck in drafts. Uh, you just go down that list. There's options there. This, the caveat I'll mention is don't force these picks just because we say we like them. Make sure it's like a 15-team league, a deeper league, like a 12-team league. You might not be drafting any of these guys. I could see an argument for a Tony Kemp super late if you're feeling frisky, but you're probably not taking too many of them. But um, definitely some guys to keep on your radar. We have a listener question later with some Pirates uh, stuff to talk about. But I'm a huge fan of uh, fancy players on bad teams. Uh, I love the Tigers players this year. The Pirates are always fun. Marlins are always entertaining. Like you got bad teams with good players. So remind me, there's a player on the Tigers I want to plug that I really like, and I don't know if he's projected to start, and I think he might. So remind me, that's a, there's a good name that I really want to bring up. I'm um, looking now. No, Bradley he's projected Green. to be on the bench right now. So we'll talk about him. Okay. Um, all right, <laughs> let's get to the Twins. The Twins have been active early and often. we got two different trades to talk about. We'll start with the one that took place first. It took place about an hour after I stopped recording my last episode with Matt Williams. Sonny Gray from the Reds to the twins um again we're not going to talk a lot of the prospects in any of these trades you got there's great prospect shows for that and uh i'm more worried about what we're doing this season but sunny gray goes to the twins obviously a great park shift a great defensive shift there's not a lot not to like about sunny gray going to minnesota and his adp will rise i think a decent amount after this you're muted i also zoned out so i have no idea what was just which name sunny gray sunny gray sunny gray sorry i was for some reason i had jose miranda on the mind on the brain which yeah. is it, it will get there be but, on the uh, next yes sunny gray uh, you gotta like it it's all plus better as weird as it sounds a better team i looked at the twins team last night and um it was it was surprisingly mediocre like it felt like a guardians team where it just had all these pieces that just you could see them competing because that division, at least this year, with all the, with the games not being spread out throughout the major league, starting next year it will be. But this year they can still take advantage of that weak division as it currently sits. Um, well, they are part of the weak part, I guess. Because other than the White Sox, though, I mean, there's not really much I'm concerned about in that division. But anyway, so I think they can be surprising. But I don't know, Sonny Gray. I think it's a, but it's a plus for him. Better ballpark, better, better team around him. Obviously, the Reds were selling off, so um, I think it's all just pluses for Sonny Gray. I can't see how it's not. Yeah, it, it's a huge plus. I definitely would look to move him up your your draft boards when you're looking at uh, ADP over the last couple of weeks and online championships. You have uh, Sonny Gray was going a crazy one fifty eight. Point nine, as low as 182 i'd imagine that keeps climbing into at least the 130s if not a little higher i think there's a lot to like with sunny gray the one thing i will mention is fastball is not great and his um, slider does not get a lot of swing and misses but overall great ground ball gray great job of limiting contact should do very very well in minnesota uh the other trade the twins made they sent uh josh donaldson and ikf plus uh the muscle man himself Rortvart catcher to the yankees in exchange for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. So we'll start on, we'll, we'll stick with the twins for a second. Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, any uh, fantasy thoughts on those two in Minnesota? I can, I guess Sanchez might go up in terms of um, value. And the reason why I say that isn't because the skill set changes. It's because I think the playing time improves because they've already made comments about him being the DH there. And as a catcher, getting your at-bats as a DH, that in my mind suggests that he should 
get more playing time, more bats equals more potential fantasy production. I still think he is the player we know him to be, but I don't think Sanchez, I think Sanchez gets a little bit of a boost because now he's entering a spot with, because I think Jeffers is still going to catch more often than not because he's better on the defensive side. But ultimately, I do think he gets more bats because of the DH. Because again, they already made that comment and point to point out that he that Sanchez is going to DH. And um, Urshela, it's a lateral move. I think he he maybe has a chance of hitting towards the middle of the lineup instead of the bottom of the Yankees lineup. Might be a little bit worse in terms of ballpark and all of that. But I don't know. I'm not seeing too much of a difference in value personally for Urshela. Yeah, it's not too much for me. I still like if you liked Gary before, I'd like Gary now. I don't. I wouldn't get too crazy about it. It's basically uh, Mitch Garver without a better batting average is what they're doing there in Minnesota. A lot of similarities there. But the Yankee side of things, IKF's going to slot in as the shortstop most likely unless another move takes place in New York. And then you got Josh Donaldson coming over there to play third base. Uh, two big additions. Well, not big. Two pretty good additions to the Yankees teams. What's your fantasy thoughts on that? Are we really doing IKF again? Like, the roller coaster of him, like he, like he gained, like in, in thoughts, he gained value when Josh Jung was out for the or out pretty much out for the season, and then he lost it when he got traded, and then he, got, he gained it back. It's like I don't know what's going on with him, but I still don't really have much interest in his skill set anyway, especially at shortstop. If you're telling me, hey, he might catch ten games and give me a catcher eligibility, I will be a lot more intrigued in IKF because he can run. But I don't, I, I can't get behind him. But Josh Donaldson, how do you not like this for him? Better team. And no one ever really questioned Donaldson's uh, skill set. The dude was like top in the league in terms of barrels, in terms of hard hit, all that. Like he, Donaldson could still mash. And although the batting average isn't a, a strength of his anymore, he still should be about two fifty ish in the batting average department. Still be a great OBP guy, but he's gonna go. He's gonna be surrounded by some of the like probably his best lineup ever. Like arguably, I mean, I know those days in in Toronto. This is probably equal to that the days in Toronto where he had all that protection too. So I don't know. I really like Donaldson. Unfortunately, I think all this is going to do is correct his markets where it probably should have been because people were fading Donaldson in the first place and health is still the same concern. It's just a matter of, um, I think he can give us one thirty, and that should be fine given his skill set and potential for production. Um, in general over 130 games which he showed last year over 135 he put up a really solid year. So Donaldson's a guy that you can still get as a corner infielder and a fallback third base option. 100%. Like IKF, I guess in deep leagues, he's going to be there. As, you know, being on the Yankees is always a plus. We've talked about it with a lot of players where we probably wouldn't like him more often than not, but I'm not rushing to get him the shortstop being so deep. I'm not, I'm not in need. But Josh Donaldson, I loved him going. I, I kind of hate this trade. Like you said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to correct uh, the market on him. He was going too cheap. People always talk about how injured he is. He still plays 130 plus games more often than not each season. He's very, very productive in those 130. And uh, I could see him doing that just, you know, yet again for the Yankees in that division, in that ballpark. We've seen what he can do in that division in years past. So I like I like Josh Donaldson a lot. It's going to suck that people are going to catch on to it now. I laughed because I wrote an article about him in December about his draft value. And then the second the trade happens, everyone comes out of the woodwork talking about, oh, Josh Donaldson's great and all this stuff. I'm like, no, you guys all hated Josh Donaldson about t- like 20 minutes ago. You so, also have uh, to remember, though. You, the early bird doesn't always get the worm in fantasy yeah. baseball because in December I tweeted something about Brian Reynolds that people are just now noticing about. Like I saw a tweet almost identical to mine that I gave the guy a hard time because I was like, you realize I said the same exact thing, but like you mentioned, it was actually in December, and yeah. I didn't. Football you know, it season, doesn't, baby. That and it's just 
we, I think baseball, usually, you know, early drafters and the hardcore players are back by then, but the average fan is not the average yeah. player is not back. So we, we get ahead of ourselves. We're super excited to share this information we found in December just to realize, Oh, maybe only a third of the people around right now read it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> so true. it's one of those things like, yeah, we might've been first, but no one really notices it when you're first anymore. They just notice it yep. when it, when it's hot topic. Exactly. All that trending stuff out there. We got a trend curling. That's the key. I got um, this. I could trend. Well, you know what else? You know, yeah, okay. You know what usually trends is Jerry Depoto during trade season, and uh, the Mariners were at it. They couldn't let the Twins and the Reds and all these teams have all the fun, so he jumped in, threw his hat in the ring with the Reds, and he acquired Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez from the Reds. Uh, Winker going into a division with a lot of right-handed pitching that could help him stay in the lineup longer potentially. In a in a Mariners lineup that keeps looking better and better the more you look at it, and then you got Eugenio Suarez who. We know the average is a conundrum, but the power is legit, and he should be able to slot in there and play third base, take that Kyle Seager role where there was a guy there that hit about 230 and hit bomb after bomb after bomb in that lineup for a couple of years. So Winker, Eugenio, moving to Seattle. What's your thoughts on that one? I think I saw something mentioned about Winker's projections. Like His his batting average dropped like 20 points per like in the projections already. and. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's painful because I was a huge Winker guy. I was like really big on drafting Jesse Winker this year. I was like, all right, cool. I I looked at him like a poor man's Reynolds. I thought I'm like, real real, real quick, you're right because ATC said he's not uh, updating until the end of the week. He still has him at 286. The bad X dropped him to 267. Yes, I think um, Steamer also dropped him to 271. Which isn't oh bad. I mean, I would take that, but I'd take I two sixty seven still. I guess yeah. fine, but yeah. It's just but you have to think now he goes from being a thirty homer bat to mid twenties, possibly. Mm-hmm. He goes from being like he was he's almost like Castellanos with Detroit, where he just never quite could he couldn't quite hit those numbers until he left the park. Probably that's the issue with Winker. He's still a very safe option, but he goes from being Jesse Winker, possible with two eighty to three hundred hitter, thirty home runs in that ballpark to Conforto type like you know what I mean like Conforto can hit mid 250s but also put up 25 30 home runs it's I just don't I just think he loses that unfortunately because again I was a huge Jesse Winker guy I was initially viewing him as a poor man's Reynolds because I thought he could hit similar enough for batting average would give you a little more pop struggle but the lefty struggles are noticeable but still like all this stuff was like if he was he was my fallback when I wouldn't get Reynolds because somebody yeah. always would take Reynolds ahead of me so I end up getting Winker so I'm not completely out on him but I think he should drop to like instead of being a fringe 100 pick probably closer to 120 130 like he needs to drop a little bit unfortunately and i hope the projections on the batting average are a little off i'm gonna look at his career splits how is he on the road for his career um he is a career away 279 hitter so maybe there is an opportunity horrible. to horrible not 279 give me that all day that, yeah, that's a better exactly. that's better than projections but yes that's just that's on the road he's i don't know it's it's hard to compare it's apples to oranges it's a whole new division that whole division in general for ballparks isn't the best so yeah he's his adp over the last two weeks like 111 he's going two picks in front of hanniger eight picks in front of schwarber a little bit in front of mount castle so it's a little it's an interesting range right like you said he's you know 11 picks after brian reynolds so you said if you miss Reynolds, you go for Winker. It'll be fun right. to see where that lands. Um, what about Suarez, Eugenio, going into <laughs> Seattle, where average is never a thing we targeted with him, so that shouldn't matter, and projections still have him for 30-plus bombs. I was turning. I was kind of coming around on Suarez because the ballpark always, in my opinion, gave Suarez a very high floor in terms of the power production. And then the changes he made in September, October area, when he hit eight home runs, batted, hit 370, 460, 808. 
808 slug <laughs> in that final month. And the changes of approach caught my attention because there was less swing and miss while remaining patient at the plate. So he wasn't pressing. And Suarez didn't pull everything. He only had a 28.8% pull rate in that in that span, which probably played up for him because they everyone is so shift heavy on Suarez because he's known to be a pull ball, fly ball hitter. I don't know if this approach would play as well in Seattle considering it's not as friendly of a hitter's ballpark. But I, I, now it's like, I don't know how I feel. Like now I feel like I'm kind of back out on him just because I was just barely in. I was getting comfortable. And I, but maybe his price will fall more because he's in Seattle. But you, you mentioned playing time matters. Kyle Seeger was a thing and he could easily be Kyle Seeger. So that's, I'm fine with that. He's okay. He's just a guy that I went from coming around on thinking maybe there's a 250, 35 home run season left in that bat to like, oh, I'm hoping for 225 and 30 now, you know? Yeah, he's literally the right-handed Seager. It, it just fits perfectly. He's the same team. Uh, when, we, when we've had Seager in the past, you know, 15-team leagues usually, he made for a good corner infield. Like, he had 212, 241, 239, 221, 249. That's Seager's last five seasons. But he had 35 homers, 23, 22, 27, 30, 26, 25. Like, dude dropped bombs. Didn't hit for average. Dropped bombs. He drove in 101 RBIs last year, scored 73 runs. Like, outside of average, as long as you maintain average on your roster elsewhere, Seager was awesome. And I'm not saying Suarez is that guy, but he could be that guy. Like, legit could be that guy hitting the middle of a Seattle lineup that should be much, much better. So I, I'm intrigued with him. He's shortstop, third base eligible, which is nice because you get middle infield, corner infield. So I, I, I was coming around as well. I took him in tout because his OBP skills are actually pretty nice with that flexibility. Um, but with the average alone, it, it's intriguing to, to definitely not just throw him away going around pick 200 right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. oh, sorry. I was, and I can see it actually falling a little bit too. So that's actually more in your favor if you're in on him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, his, yeah, his ODP should, his ADP should fall for sure. Uh, flip side though, the Reds. Um, you know, they traded Sonny Gray. Uh, they're gonna, they are going to trade probably some more pitching. There's already one rotation spot open. Well, they got uh, Jake Fraley in the outfield that he should be at least platooning in the outfield if not playing every t- every day. But uh, Justin Dunn, former big prospect, we saw some signs of life in Seattle with him, had some injuries as well. He's projected a slot in this rotation. You got San Martin, you got Lodello, you got Hunter Green. How are you looking at the back end of this Reds rotation when it comes to draft day? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, If I can avoid it, I think I would. But uh, I think Hunter Green might have the... In terms of prospects coming up, I think Lodello will be up this year as well. But I think Hunter Green might get that first shot of coming up and seeing what he can do. And I think if I'm going to, I think I'll just take upside. I know Dunn has shown it in the past, but I don't think I want, I think I just rather take the shot on Hunter, Hunter Green out of those three would probably be who I'm, uh, who I'm targeting. But at the end of the day, it's like you mentioned innings pitch. This is kind of where you're at. Like grab all of them, like in a DC format, you grab one of them, maybe two of them. Cause they're going, they're all going so late and their ADP will rise a little bit but not enough to be out on any of them. So just grab your favorite one, essentially, and they should pitch in some way, shape, or form this year, and you'll get some innings late. It's just a terrible yeah. ballpark. <laughs> it is. It's a terrible ballpark, but um, yeah, I had Justin Dunn and a lot of San Martin shares in a lot of my DCs late. So Perfect. We'll, we'll see how that pans out. Not saying this is a win, but we'll see. But yeah, Lodello and Green are getting a lot of pub, a lot of talking camp already. Those will be the names people look to target. So don't sleep on, uh, you know, Sam Martin looked good in his, his time there last year. Uh, real quick, we're going to plug a listener question in here because he's typed it twice. Uh, <laughs> Manuel Rosales says, do you think the Giants will sign a big bat? Uh, as a Giants fan, they are linked with Suzuki, but that he might be going to San Diego. Uh, they want to sign up another bat, but the Giants will never force money. That's not what Farhan does. 
was gonna say you would know. I was gonna say you would know better than I would. Yeah. <laughs> like when it comes the, to Giants stuff, I ask you and George all like if George on my podcast all the time. I'm like, hey, Giants question, you got this. Like yeah. they want they want a big bat. They need a bat or two. But the way Farhan builds things, it's usually not the big splash per se, right out there. Like the Rodon was a big splash, but still was only two years, 44 mil. And in today's climate, that's not like humongous. So he'll make maybe a couple moves like that. Like Casty could be interesting. That might be a bigger splash. I don't see Chris Bryant coming back. They want Suzuki. They want an outfielder for sure. And Conforto then the, maybe? Maybe. I think he's going Colorado, but uh, uh, maybe Cincinnati now. Um, Conforto is interesting, but they, they are looking for one. So man, Manuel, they are going to sign a bat. I don't know how big a bat that is. That's the question. All right. Back to the topic at hand here. Uh, jock jams. I don't think comes to San, San Francisco. Sorry. I, I don't see jock coming there. Just that that's a bad fit for jock. Jock wants a one-year deal to go make a lot of money somewhere next year. So the Giants would not be a good place for him. Jock one year in Colorado. Let's just let's just that's see what, what I, that's what I think he does. That or Cleveland because he'll play every day in Cleveland. He won't get platooned like he would elsewhere. Um, all right, uh, talk about a signing the Giants could have made that I would have been pumped on. Nelson Cruz to like this is probably one of the best landing spots for NLDHs that I could think of for Nelson Cruz, the soon to be forty one year old wonder Nelson Cruz signs with Washington to hit between Juan Soto and Josh Bell behind Cesar Hernandez and Lane Thomas. The old man is going to have tons of chances to drive in runs. He's going to hit 30-plus homers, hit for a decent average. I am beyond pumped for what we're going to get to see here with um, with uh, Nelson Cruz in Washington. And all I'll say before I hand over the reins to you is his ADP of 181 is about to, to jump quite a bit. Yeah, and I think it should. I, I'm I'm thinking maybe you should put him closer to that 120 range where you mentioned the Hanegers of the world and all that. I think Nelson Cruz now belongs there. And I think the reason why he was going later in drafts, and rightfully so, was we didn't know about the lockout. And then, like, could he have retired? It would have made sense if he did. Obviously, he always seemed to have a desire to want to keep playing. But, it, I mean, he's 40, you mentioned 41 years old. Like, Nelson Cruz retiring wasn't out of the question. So I understood the whole not uh the whole falling in adp but like you mentioned he should rise probably upwards probably one of the bigger risers upwards of 50 60 picks i would think from the 180 mark but it also comes down to what do you believe in do you believe in the first half of nelson cruz from last year or the second half i lean towards the first half because the dude had i mean the dude had a crazy first half 304 18 home runs um and 80 something runs an rbi and i'm like wow he actually was really solid like i didn't realize how good he was in the first half because the second half 26.5% K rate. It spiked. He hit just 226 with a 283 batting average. He had the WRC plus under 100. But then you look at his career at the TROP. So I'm thinking it was a TROP issue because I know he did better on the road while he, on the second half as well. Mm-hmm. If you look at the home road splits over that second half, he hit better away from the TROP. So I think the TROP in general, that batter's eye probably got the best of him because he hit 247, 324, 451. Nelson Cruz did over his 55 games, career games at the TROP. So although it's not the biggest sample size, only 240 plate appearances, he has shown a true career level of mediocrity there. And I'm thinking getting him away from the trap, putting him back in like a normal ballpark where the batter's eye isn't terrible. I think we should expect something closer to the first half than the second half. Personally, that's how I'm looking at Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I just wrote up an article that should be published anytime on Tuesday um, <laughs> at Roto Baller about Cruz going to the Nats. And I looked at those uh, twins versus Rays splits basically last uh-huh. year. And he hit almost 300 with the Twins. And he had like 226 <laughs> with the Rays. But the yeah. power was still very similar. Look at the hard hits, the max EVs, the, everything. 
was very similar. It was the strikeout rate. It was the swing and miss rate. It was like, so the walk rate dropped like six per six and a half percent. Like you mentioned, the strikeout rate rose to almost 27%. It is that batter's eye. That's a hundred percent. Look, that's where I'm going. Cause Willie Adamas talked about it. He left town and we saw what happened there. Yeah. So I think Nelson Cruz to be just fine. That Nats ballpark gets very lively in the summertime. And uh, not to mention, like the only the only the only downside, like you said with Matt Olson, is the pitching in the NL East is very very good, but a lot of those ballparks are very favorable favorable as well. So I, I like Nelly Cruz. I think he's going to jump up quite a bit, and I'd get him if you can before that helium rises a ton more. Like I'm in a slow draft right now, and I'm we're only in round five, but I'm going to probably jump him up a couple rounds. That's where I'm sitting with Nelson Cruz. I'm a big fan of him. Well, right, you hear, yeah. like, sorry, you mentioned drafting recently. Be careful because um, I drafted Zach Wheeler 24 hours before the news broke on him. And then I drafted Zach Gallon an hour before the news broke on him in this most recent. Well, it's a it's a uh, it's a 50. So it's not like a huge investment. But just so you know, be wary drafters just because things are back to like news is coming back and uh, and all this stuff's happening. You are not safe because <laughs> yeah. I'm all, breaking news. That's all I'm doing right now is the OC qualifier for fifty bucks. I'm just trying to keep in the in the the mindset of seeing where the the, the stuff changes. I'm gonna I'm trying to wait like another week or so of news to hopefully kind of get a better feel of things before I I dig back in for the for the stretch run. Um, the Brewers made a big move. I love Andrew McCutcheon. Big fan of Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, they brought him in. He's got an ADP at three forty four right now. You know, the questions are, does that affect Tyrone Taylor? You got Lorenzo Cain. What happens in Milwaukee? How much does – there's so many questions. Like, how much does Kutch play? But he's pretty much like one of their best outfield options out there being healthy. And if he plays enough, he's a 20-plus homer, 10-plus stolen base guy. So thoughts on Kutch in Milwaukee? I'm just I, I don't know how to feel because I mean you know I was a big Tyrone Taylor guy so obviously that I literally I went back to my my guys article I have <laughs> written and I deleted Tyrone Taylor off of it just to give you an idea of how much this affects my mood it on sucks. him it sucks because I really did think Tyrone Taylor was going to get some run between the fourth outfielder spot slash DH but now I think Kutch is going to get some of that DH run and now the fourth out. I think it's pretty much going to switch roles the thing about Kutch though is at least last year the splits were noticeable he just he had like a thousand he had over a thousand ops against lefties last year only a 650 ops against righties wrc plus of 168 against lefties last year 76 wrc plus against righties so kutch crushed lefties what the biggest thing about rowdy telez and i know this this is weird how i'm tying two together but my big thing was with rowdy is i thought there's gonna be added at bats for him as a dh and now i'm thinking he won't get those added at bats because you're gonna have other guys getting those options or those potential those opportunities not to mention keeping guys healthy like Yelich and stuff in the lineup. And then you have a guy that's literally the opposite of him in terms of lefty versus righty matchups. Not that Rowdy's bad against lefties because he's actually serviceable. The problem is, is why play a serviceable guy against lefties in a DH any given day when you can put, put McCutcheon in. So it's like, I think this can actually have an indirect effect on him just in a smaller sense. And again, the more, they, the more depth they add, the more it hurts any chance of anybody having a steady DH spot in that lineup. But then what if like, Hira is Hira going to, how much is Hero going to affect things? If he shows any pulse or signs of life, does Hero just suddenly he made jump a big, in? He made a big swing change. He's all excited. We'll see, because I feel like he's made adjustments before and it didn't work. So I think we'll about see. you every time I think of Keston Hero optimism. It's funny, because I usually don't. Last year, I was super out on him. Last year, I was super out on him. I was like the leader of that. I was trying to be the leader of that bandwagon. Like, nope. Remember, I remember getting yelled at, because I said Jake Cronenworth over Keston Hero, and I was getting a huge pushback on that. Yeah, well, that happens. I was that right. happens. I was you right. Were, you were right. You were correct. I, I'm wrong. I am wrong often, but I was right about that. Damn it. 
Yeah, this Brewer situation is going to be interesting because I love Kutch. I love Telez. Uh, there's a lot of pieces to like on this team. That's for darn sure. But where does it all, you know, hash out injuries will happen. It's just a new era of baseball. Like platoon, like I watch it with the Giants. We've seen it with the Rays, the Dodgers. Like so many teams are doing this now. So it makes it tough from a fantasy standpoint. But these players all have a, a spot. Like I said, Kutch is going at ADP at 344. He'll jump a bit, but I don't see him going too much past 340. I mean, 300, I mean, like at best 280, like it's that's still late in drafts. Like he's not going to be super early in drafts. That uh, Telez is still super late in drafts. Tyron Taylor only in 15s and deeper. Like they're still worth a shot, I guess. Like if you're drafting now, because you can always drop them if things go sour in spring training because the potential's there, but it does murky the waters tremendously. Um, I, I'm wondering to see how it goes because Kutch wasn't even that healthy last year. So we'll see. And then they have Locaine who can't stay healthy either. Like there's a lot of weird moving pieces in Milwaukee that makes them a better baseball team, but a pain in the ass for fantasy baseball. So we'll see how that pans out. Uh, a couple reliever things here that, you know, just kind of give your quick thoughts on Nats signed Sean Doolittle. It was already in question. You know, if you had Finnegan, you had Rainey, that was always the back and forth. You kind of throw Doolittle with, you know, he hasn't been the greatest of late, but he's got past experience as well. Any, uh, any concern with Doolittle and the closing situation in Washington? It's getting murky, and not because I think Doolittle and C-Sheck are great, but it's just, you mentioned track records. Both of them have one. And if Rainey struggles or Finnegan struggles, do these guys step in, and does it become like a huge, not just platoon situation, but can it become a who stands out, boom, they get the job for a week, oh, they struggled, boom. Like I think there could be a revolving door here. So this is a situation in general I tend to ignore and, and just let other people with it because i do think finnegan and rainey are the two top clear options but that there's already a discussion which one so that like there's already that like well we don't know which one it could be i we i, I know mason's a big finnegan guy and i get it i just i'm not as confident in finnegan being the guy right away or maybe he is but i don't know how long the leash is and it's just a situation that i feel like see shit can do little although they shouldn't they do murky the water a little bit yeah no it it, it does make it it quite quite tricky um I'm not getting super worried. I was only taking these guys late in uh, either, uh, you know, DCs or drafts. I know I can drop them, so I'm not super crazy. I don't think Doolittle impacts it that much unless he makes a massive change in his velocity. So we'll see. But it does does leave Martinez with another option, unfortunately. Yeah. Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks went and signed Ian Kennedy. You know, we already had Mark Melanson there for on a two-year deal. So I still think it's Melanson's job. It's just more like, I guess, insurance for Kennedy. I mean, for the D-backs in case something happens to Melanson. But you didn't give Melanson two years to bring someone in to close. That's my two cents. Any thoughts on Ian Kennedy with the D-backs? I thought I read somewhere that Melanson didn't report to um, camp if yet. You, if, you, if you go read, uh, there's one of our good buddies that loves talking about injury concerns uh, quote tweeted that Steve Buchanan piece, at least with Buchanan, uh, who's a beat reporter for the D-backs, and he responded quickly. He says, don't overthink it. He's uh, He was traveling out of country, so he's back in a couple days. Gotcha. Well, it's good. See, that's why I love when beat reporters actually respond. Like I yep. back, um, One of them responded to me the other night when the whole Muncie news initially first broke was like, Muncie should be 100%. And then I, I quote tweeted him thinking, saying like, oh, well, I want to see it first, blah, blah, blah. It's hard for me to believe he's healthy. And then he actually answered back saying, Oh well, he's not going to be a hundred percent, but he'll be good enough to swing or something like that. Like I was like, wow, that's a big difference in what you're giving us, yeah. and then what the follow up quote was. Yeah, so my bad. Stuff it, was, like it, was, that. it was Zach Buchanan, uh, and he's always been good. Like I've I've been able to. I'm not saying everyone can go do it, but you can like DM him once in a while if you have like a legit question. He's actually pretty good about that. 
But uh, yeah, he says you're overthinking it. Melanson was traveling out of the country. That was his answer. So, hey, like, I love that like, stuff though. Man. Yeah. So uh, legit, unless there's something else hiding somewhere, we, he should be back shortly and no concerns. Perfect. There. So, so then, yeah, back- Kennedy. No, I, I rather Melanson's a guy. I would think, obviously. Yeah. All right, Philadelphia. They signed Brad Hand, which is interesting because you know you got Corey Knable there, who was just anointed the closer. Then they went and get Juris Familia, who's got, got experience, still not concerned there. But now you got Brad Hand, who we've seen close even when like the quote unquote metrics don't look great. He gets saves, and he pitched really well actually in New York last year once he joined that team, where he wasn't closing down games, but he pitched very effectively. Uh, does this scare your Knable shares at all? Well, I don't have any, so that works. I was I was fading Knable because I still feel like they're they're trading for Kimbrel. I don't know why. I still have this weird fe- gut feeling, but um, I think it does make things interesting because if Knable struggles, now they have options. Before he had a longer leash, and I believe they're getting Sir Anthony Dominguez back, which he had save opportunities and save, and he actually had some time as a closer as well for them. So now that they're just adding all these guys as fallback plans, which I think Knable gets the first shot. You can't place, you can't go into the season. Well, this guy is the closer for now you can't you gotta it's just hard to play that way you gotta take what's being given to us and i think canable's the guy but i do think having again when a team just piles on more options all it does is make the least shorter my mind so just it does scare me a little bit but not enough to stop drafting canable as the closer yep yep i'm with you there it's still canable for me i know the vote of confidence is never the end all be all but i think they signed him with the intention to give him the shot now could he lose it of course we've seen that happen in philadelphia many times as you mentioned dominguez alvarado's still there too we forget about him like there's options in that bullpen that know how to close down games it's again it's like the the new era of of baseball it's it's a you want to stock up those riches just in case something happens you can play leverage you can do different things so i'm with you i think it's a, it's a smart move by the phillies for like a baseball sense but i'm still on Canable. Uh, the Mets, they've signed Adam Adovino, who we've seen be very, very effective at times in the bullpen. Um, you know, they still have Edwin Diaz. They have uh, May, who's awesome as well. So to me, this is just more depth to the pen. Any thoughts for you? Same, just more depth. Okay, okay easy enough there. Let's catch some more news, <laughs> though. No, th- really, that's simple. I like that. Yeah, um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Yeah, there's, there's nothing already, more I've to add. Given, holds leagues. Yeah. Holds leagues. There you go. There you go. Um, some other news, though, I wanted to hit on besides just transactions. Jacob DeGrom was named the opening day starter. He threw um, he threw a side session on Monday. He had a, a you know a presser afterwards, and he says all the doctors are telling him his UCL is just fine. Obviously, that's just talk. We'll see what happens. But knock on wood, he's healthy. He's starting opening day. I've I've been a scaredy cat all draft season because I like I'm, I'm a very I'm a very safe drafter until later in drafts. I've said that many times on my show with different guests. So I have zero shares. I'm getting more intrigued, but to me, he still has to fall on the back of the first round for me. Um, and I even saw Vlad Sedler tweet out on Monday night that he was in a draft, and I believe he had pick um, 12 or so, or no, like seven or eight, and he took a, a hitter, and he said if DeGrom would have fell to him at pick 20, he would have drafted him, but he went at pick 13. So what's your thoughts on the ground now? Is he moving up your board? Yes, but like you mentioned, I'm kind of, I kind of, I, I draft scared to start the year two. I'm very conservative, which is why um, I think it's kind of, it can be kind of good and bad because I draft, I like the draft players I think have playing time and then next thing you know, trades happen and just screw everything up. But uh, it's, uh, I'm still kind of drafting scared because I want to see it first, but by then he's going to be going top five. So I think yep. he's kind of, he's almost like the Fernando Tatis of pitching where the skills are there. No one questions that 
but and well, the ADP is probably going to rise into that range. You just have to be willing to take the risk. Or not. Like I know Degrom, even in half a season, we saw how great he could be. He could be the best pitcher in baseball. You take him. I think it was a fun. I forgot where I heard the stat, but you take his first half and pair it with like some random Joe Schmo's second half, and you still have the best pitcher in fantasy. So yeah. we know that type of upside exists for Degrom. But I like to. I feel more secure taking guys. I would have said Wheeler. Um, that's the problem. It's like Wheeler, yep. in theory, was safer. I liked Wheeler over him at one point. Now Wheeler falls. Tatis, but... Tatis was safe. Like we just don't know any of this news. It's crazy. And and is the Grom backing it down? Is he going from throwing 199, 100 to ninety six, ninety five, kind of dialing it down a little bit? Like we haven't seen the the reports on his velo, and not that he needs the velo to succeed, but it would you know change things a little bit. So and on top of that, usually a decrease in velo suggests injury, and we don't know that. Like what? Then Chris Sale say, "Oh, I'm trying to dial it down before he got TJ too." So yep. we'll see. We have to see what happens with Degrom, but um, for now, I think if I want a couple of shares, now would be the time to kind of get my shares. But like you mentioned, if he's going as as early as 13, I don't think I'm ready to take him there yet. So if he's already going there, I'm already being passed. And I think you mentioned at the back end of the first round just made the most makes the most sense right now. Yeah, it makes the most sense. Like, I'm intrigued. I might try to throw one out there if I can get the in the back of the first round. But by the time I get that draft pick, he should move up. Because I made the joke that uh, when we see the first video and side session of DeGrom, like it says on Sunday, that his ADP is going to skyrocket. That took play. Like, the, the, the overexcitement came into play. And then when he announced that his UCL is fine, I was like, well, there you go. It's over, folks. Enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, he went, he went in like the middle of the first round of the OC qualifier I was doing. So that, that, that is definitely <laughs> going to happen. All right. Uh, the Houston Astros have some conundrums on their hand. Justin Verlander, he's fine according to him, but he might not be able to throw a hundred pitches by opening day. So he might not be ready for opening day, which sounded funny for me. So just monitor that one at your own risk. Are you in or out on Verlander? Um, I, again, I've kind of been out. If this drops his ADP, I might again. I'm not actually out on him in terms of like I actually wouldn't mind a share or two because he is so far removed from TJ that I think he'll be healthy. That's not quite. I don't really question the health. It's just at his age. I know they paid him the way they did, which is encouraging, and they gave him a player option, not just like it wasn't just like a club option. It was a player option for next year for the same amount, like twenty something mil, twenty five mil or whatever. So I think the Astros know Verlander's healthy. I just don't know what's you know coming off TJ is always concerning control issues. Is the velo going to be there? Uh, I'm not out. I just haven't had any. I just haven't drafted him yet, and maybe that maybe that says I'm out without realizing it. I just I, I I'm rooting for him if that counts for anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have a couple shares. I'm not like going aggressively to get him, but I, I think he'll be fine. The one I have zero shares of, and I love this guy as a pitcher, but I'm scared to death is Lance McCullers Jr. And it's similar mm-hmm. to, to like Degrom and some others that we already knew were hurt before all this news came out. I kind of avoided in drafts. And now uh, there's there's talk that he's had multiple setbacks or a couple setbacks that is going to delay the start of the season for Lance McCullers, which is really rough to hear. Now, his ADP could fall a ton that if you can stash him for a bit, you never know. But I'm just really concerned about this situation. How are you approaching Lance McCullers? I'm not. He's been off my draft board since day one, and it's because of just multiple reports. Like, And then he had the setback. He actually was one of the guys we got news on that he had a setback during the, all this downtime. So I don't – it goes back to drafting scared, but I'm just risk-adverse in early drafts because I want I don't want guys coming into the season off like injured or coming off injury. That's why even Verlander, to a point, I was kind of out on for the most part just because – but I came around on him in terms of thinking, just going back to the whole, like, I guess he should be healthy thing. But um, McCullough's a guy that – and now I'm really out because 
we're talking about a setback. We're talking about possibly another setback coming. <laughs> he finished the year injured last year. The red flag, like you, I don't think there's a pitcher with more red flags in the top like 200 picks, or at least where he was going. So I just can't get behind. I can't get behind suggesting to draft him. There's no like he's off my board. Like it's very rare to be off my board, but he's off my board. Yeah, I'm with you there. And the bummer is, is that puts Christian Javier into the rotation, who I loved, who I was getting, I thought, great value on in drafts. His ADP is up to 288. Now he's gone as high as 269 over the last two weeks. Um, the dude was very good in his time last year with the Astros, in and out of the rotation. Looks like he might have a spot to start the year now. Do you have any interest in some value with a guy like Javier, or are you more in, in, intrigued uh, elsewhere? Javier intrigues me because I think he, at the very least, the strikeouts, it's the strikeout potential that really catches your eye with Javier. And I do think he'll be in that rotation again. I actually enjoy him. I enjoy knowing like he could be this year's fireman role that's like super just helpful to those teams in terms of strikeouts and ratios. So I think that that's the floor. And if he's going to get some starts here and there or be like that, you know, the sixth man type of deal in the rotation as they need help, I think that's only a bonus for him. But he did succeed as a relief pitcher. So I'm afraid that some of that growth and some of that won't be sustained as a starter. Cause you know, sometimes just some pitchers don't have it both ways, but ultimately I do like Javier and a lot of it's just that that strikeout upside is so enticing. Yeah. I'm with you there. So I'm willing to, to get some late shares of Javier and build around that. Cause I, I like the upside tremendously and that team's going to win some ball games. Uh, Zach Wheeler, shoulder issues. He's got a setback, might not be ready for opening day. He's supposed to throw a pin on Tuesday or Wednesday. He says he's fine. It was just, you know, some fatigue and he's going to work through it. I don't know, man. This is just getting depressing. So um, he's getting pushed back for me. I got him like round three or four in the scarf league that Jorge was in. Georgie was in on a Sunday. He went late round five in a 15 teamer. Like I would have jumped all over that. Uh, where do you see yourself like targeting Zach Wheeler if you're targeting him at all? Well, <laughs> I was in the second round. Uh, I think realistically, yeah. Uh, he mentioned that he might just miss the first rota- the first like he just might not start opening day, but he I think Wheeler's or someone has said that he could pitch in the first series or first like second series of the season. So we're talking uh, a week. Uh, realistically, push it back even two weeks. I'm not too concerned. But I think that's enough to push him down to like that Giolito range where like round four ish, round five, which is like you mentioned where he kind of went or is going. Um, I think he belongs around there because I think if and we'll see we'll get more news, but for now because I'm kind of believing in Wheeler in terms of what he's saying, which I probably shouldn't. I should probably just, I should wait to see it. I, I, I haven't had a chance to, I haven't drafted since the news, but I think where he belongs right now is around that Giolito's Alcantara range. Like I guess yeah, Alcantara so, goes before, before Giolito. So Giolito Nola, sorry, Giolito Nola range. Well, uh, in the last two weeks, according to online uh, OC ADP, He's gone as low as pick 53, which would put him around Freddie Peralta, Chris Sale, Robbie Perfect. Ray in that range, which I think is is fine. I think, I think I, that's, that's where that's probably bet that's probably better where he belongs. I just didn't expect him to go there. I expected him to be yeah. f- farther up because I figured people say, ooh, Zach Wheeler. But if he's gonna go there, then I'm a lot more interested. Most definitely. Most definitely. So keep an eye on that news as that changes. You got Shane Bieber. He says he's fine. Make sure he's fine. Stuff like <laughs> that. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. We're getting more and more news. Like this is good and bad. Depends on how you look at it. Cause like we saw the videos, our hype train was up, but my question always was like, yeah, he'll hit, but how will he run? He said yesterday he's uh, like 85 to 90% right now and he'll be good to go come opening day where the Braves said um, the goal is to get him playing in the outfield sometime in May, hopefully no later than the end of May. And I saw two different reports. 
So that's it in the outfield, though. So he could DH as soon as opening day. Like, there's still, like, no set uh, thing. Like, he could DH on opening day. For all we know, he might not play till May 1st. It's, like, nothing set in stone right now. So it's a really interesting gamble come draft day, Curly. So, and, and the one thing I was concerned about the running, Acuna said the second he steps on the field by opening day, he'll be ready to run. So take that for what it's worth, too. So thoughts on Acuna. Where are you, where are you approaching him in drafts? I think he should go back to that late first round area where he remember the reason why he flew up draft boards of late was because of the whole potential for a delayed start, which we're still getting a delayed start. We're still going two weeks later into the season, starting, starting compared to usual. So that's already in his favor. So he still does gain a little bit from that later start. However, or it's about a week. I'd say it's about a week and a half. I'd say from the normal opening day, it doesn't matter. My point is, is it's about a week. He, He gains about a week. Um, so that's in his favor, but realistically, even a month, say, say he comes back in May, starts DHing in May. That's still five months of one of the best hitters in baseball. I think he belongs in the back end of the first round. I'll take him there. And I think that's where he, that's where he was going before the, before the news of opening day, you know, the whole being unsure, push back the season. If we, if the season started in May, he's a top three pick, all that crazy, you know, what, what else do we have to talk about type of stuff? But, but I think he should go back to the back end of the first. I'm okay taking him there because I think, again, replacement value. Take him and you replace him with, I don't know, insert player here, doesn't really matter, mid-tier outfielder, and you're still getting a first, like a top 10, 15 pick overall. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, obviously, the shallower the league, the better he is to target, but he, because he, he can be hard to, but I, I'm with you, like, what if he DHs from day one? But do they really want to put Azuna in the outfield? Will they suck it up for a month to keep Will uh, to keep Wheeler to keep Acuna's bat in the lineup? Wheeler's bat in the lineup would not be good, but Acuna's yeah. bat would be great. <laughs> but I, that's why it's like I think he could DH from day one because he's able yeah. to take batting practice no problem. It sounds like he's able to run the bases relatively simply. Maybe he won't run from day one, yeah. but I don't know. I, I, I'm in, I think he's back before May first in some sort of DH role for sure. Uh, is it opening day? We'll see. But I think he's back sooner than later. I think the thing is, is they know how aggressive he is and his attitude. I think they want to make sure he can run before they let him, even if it's DHing, because once he's out there, he's going crazy. There's no doubt yeah. about it. So I think they want to make sure he's good to go. Over the last two weeks, ADP of seven, he's the seventh hitter off the board, uh, as high as five. So people are starting to get back, but as low as 10. It's like if he's sitting there around 10, I'm much more intrigued. Like it's, it's, a, it's a fun spot where – I'm going to try to get a few Acuna shares here pretty soon because I still believe he's a 30-30 dude once he gets going. Maybe this year with the speed thing, he's more 30-20. I'll take it. I think that's very good. Zach Gallen, questionable for opening day due to shoulder issues. You know, he had the elbow issues last year. And then all the talk all offseason because we were bored was, who threw the most pitches in the second half of the season? Zach Gallen. Who did this? Zach Gallen. Well, now he's got a shoulder issue, and apparently it's bad enough to pretty much limit him to probably not happening on an opening day. Let's put it that way. Um, I didn't have a lot of Zach Gallon shares. Now, this just pretty much takes me off of him for now. What's your thoughts on him? I literally just told myself, let me take my first, let me take my shot on Zach Gallon. I just lost Wheeler. Like, I was like, I potentially lost Wheeler in the same draft. I'm like, you know what? Let's take some upside. It's like my SP4 at this point. I'll take Gallon. And then and literally the news broke like two, two hours later. So at least my injury issues are all on the same team at this point, but uh, he was a guy that I've been out on because of the whole, like, you know, injuries last year. I know he came back through the most innings, but, or whatever, but uh, I can't, like, I don't know. I just, I was out for a reason. I probably should have stuck with that. And now I'm over here thinking, well, maybe I'm going to, I hope I get 120, 130 out of him. I'm probably back out again. 
Yeah, not gonna, I am. There's no probably. I am back out again. Yeah, I'm gonna sit out. I'm gonna sit this one out as well. It's just it sucks, but that's where I'll be. Uh, last bit of news here: the Cubs. Adbert Alzley was the guy I was taking late in a lot of drafts. I love the upside. I love the strikeout stuff. I figured a pitch mix change, which he was working on, and having Stroman, who loves him, to work with, uh, was going to be huge. But he's got shoulder tightness, and it's told that it's not going to be a short stint. So this really sounds like something worse that could lead to a knife at some point in time. Maybe I'm over-speculating, but when they say it's not going to be a short-term thing, it's a long-term thing, that's never good. Um, so that gives you Justin Steele, Alec Mills as back-end rotation pieces and drafts. Any interest in these guys or just, you know, going to pass on the Cubs value? Again, it goes back to um, the deepest of formats, the NL onlys, the 15 teamers, DC, not even like fab. We're talking about DCs. Cause if you look again, if you're, although Mills and Steel aren't very intriguing, at least they have that, that division, you have the Reds and Pirates racing to the bottom. You have, um, you have the Brewers who, they're good, obviously, but I'm, I'm. It's not like I don't look at a team and think, "Wow, that's going to be a super crazy team to pitch against." Like they're they're probably the toughest team in that division, though. It's just I don't know. I I don't that that the Cardinals, you know, they're kind of like they meander, like they go through hot streaks. It feels like. So I think a cu- the back end of the what what gives them value is the innings you're going to get plus that like if you stream them against the right matchups, which again the Pirates and Reds are great matchups, especially if the Pirates do trade Reynolds. The Pirates did make a signing while we were uh, a Heath Hembry, which is actually interesting. I saw that and, signing and, happen. And Dan Vogelbach. Oh gosh. <laughs> he just doesn't he just doesn't know how to he just doesn't go away. He just needs to go to the KBO. Just go to the KBO Vogie. Like you'd be a rock star over there. I mean but, everyone uh, roots from here. He's he's country strong man. Yes, yeah, like if me is. and you were ever if me and you were ever baseball players, we'd be Dan Vogelbach. Yeah, pretty much. That's why he's been my spirit animal for so long. Like, he really has been. He's awesome. Um, I got two listener questions here for you before we wrap this up. Because, honestly, it's been a slow news day. So, it means about an hour after we finish, it's going to start popping off. But, um, like, it's so slow that the Rays are rumored to be in on Matt Chapman, Frankie Montas, and Suzuki. So, that tells you what's going on there. Um, But, uh, listener questions. First, Yancey Eaton says, how close does Mike think this is to the opening day lineup for the Mariners? Eugenio Suarez, J.P. Crawford, Abraham Toro, Adam Frazier, Dylan Moore, Ty France, Luis Torrens, Tom Murphy, Jesse Winker. Yeah, I think that's not going to be it. The trolling, the the level of trolling. So I did pull up roster resource, though, to look at how they have it, and I can't get behind Frazier leading off. Maybe I'm wrong for that. I have a hard time buying into Frazier leading off. They have, I think Winker could lead off. We saw him lead off and hit or hit the top of the order last year for the Reds. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, well, I guess JP maybe Crawford. I, Crawford did lead off and did it relatively decently last year. I just don't know because Frazier in the second half wasn't anything special. So I, I, I have a hard time. I don't know. Like the leadoff spot's going to be something I pay attention to in spring for sure. And even if Frazier does actually get it, I don't know if I'm going to buy into it being a long-term thing because this team obviously wants to compete. They don't go out and trade and make these moves like they do just to be like, well, we're going to hold on to Frazier in that leadoff spot because he really deserves it. Winker is a heck of an on-base guy. And I don't know. I, I could see Winker moving up there and then they go lefty. They still go lefty, righty, lefty, righty because then they can put Kel- – I don't think they want to put Kelnick third. I don't know. I see what they're doing here because obviously putting Frazier first gives them that lefty, righty, lefty, righty thing pretty much all the way down the lineup. But I don't. I'm having a hard time with buying into Frazier Crawford though. I, I I think if I had to pick between the two to lead off, I think I would probably give the edge to Crawford. You see how confident I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a situation I don't really care 
like uh, i don't know if i buy again we get spring training soon we should get some answers but it's still one of those things like I guess like <laughs> Frazier's second half numbers were just so lackluster. 323 OBP isn't going to do it. You know, uh, like it's, it's okay, but 83 diversity plus overall in the second half, which Frazier are we getting? And now Frazier starts off like he did in the first half with an OBP near 400. Then yeah, he's going to stick in that layoff spot for sure. But I don't know if we can bet on that. I don't think, let's see what his career numbers OBP were. His career OBP is 344. Okay. That's realistic. Um, But I don't know. It's tough. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at this line. Like, I'm like, just, I guess I get why he's projected to lead off. I just don't know if I can buy into it yet. I guess. I don't know. Anyways, back to Gancy's thing. It was, it was a funny thing that I think people took serious. Cause I saw it got run. I saw it was getting like yeah, a good amount it, of run there. It got some silly run. Yes. Which is <laughs> and it was obviously what Yancey does well. Yes. It's yes. what Yancey does very well. Um, the other question we have here is from Simon P. He asks, how about some fantasy gems from some crappy teams like the Pirates and the Guardians? Who will start, and more importantly, who will crap out and allow others to emerge later in the year? So give us some bad team fantasy gems. Uh, one guy that I get yelled at about talking up, but somebody I'm just I'm in on, and now there's no reason not to be. It's actually from the Reds, Tyler Naquin. He's going around yeah. pick 300. He had, he had 19 home runs and five stolen bases in just 127 games, like 454 plate appearances. We know the splits can be an issue, but I, I've been calling him a poor man's winker because he hits two, he hit 283 against righties last year, only 197 against lefties. Now you're looking at a guy that not only should play every day, but hit towards the top of the order because they showed the willing to they showed the willingness to do so with Winker out last year. With Winker out last year, Naquin was batting I think second, so he was pretty much in his spot. No reason to think Naquin won't get that type of run. And we saw the power show up and a little bit of speed. And you're getting, again, play, you're getting playing time at bats, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. Uh, he's going to get play appearances until they're, they're probably going to try to trade him midseason. So obviously it might be a short run, but half a season of production is better than none. And um, again, at the very least, if he gets traded, he's probably going to be a strong side platoon guy wherever he goes. But the ballpark's there. Everything's in his favor. And he looked good in terms of like he cut the strikeout rate from 2020 to 2021 from 28.4% to 23.3%. And the 23.3% was actually more in line with his career norm compared to the 28.4%. So there's a lot of things in his favor last year. Then, and again, playing time is the best it's ever been for him. So give me Tyler Naquin. He's a guy that instantly comes to mind. I like that a lot. Uh, a guy that I would throw out there for fun as well as another outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates, that's Ben Gamble. I think people don't pay enough attention because everyone's on to Sitsuga, which I get. You have Brian Reynolds, especially if Brian Reynolds gets traded. This is even better. But, you know, he had 247 last year. We've seen him be about a 240 uh, to 250 hitter for the most part. But he can get you double-edged power. He's going to get you steals as well, good OBP skills. Um, and playing every day can be tremendous because he's only played 122 games last year, 134 in 2019. But he should be the regular uh, outfielder, probably left fielder, I'm guessing, on this team. Um, so I, I like what we get with uh, Ben Gamble. He'd be a guy, and he's going like stupid late in drafts if you really want to get crazy. Uh, he's not even getting drafted in 12-team OCs right now. So I know uh, I know Simon Pete plays a lot of um, only leagues, so a lot of NL only, so that's why he's asking this question. But uh, I think he's, oh. one you, yeah, he's one you could look at. He's NL and AL. He plays a lot of only leagues. So I think Ben Gamble is definitely uh, someone to target there. Um, the only other one I can think of from a National League perspective is if you click on the old D-backs roster here, um, <laughs> you like Seth Beer quite a bit, which is interesting. But uh, Jordan Luplau will actually get a lot more run than people think in that lineup. So if you're going super deep, I think he's interesting. But I'll go Ben Gamble. You went to Tyler Naquin. 
I didn't realize you wanted that deep of names. All right. Well, I no, I'm actually writing. Oh, You're fine. Oh, uh, because so, I have a whole article coming out with 40 man roster guys just to watch for that could get playing time. And that's kind of well, right up his alley. Go. So there you go. There you go. And there's Check like, there's like, there's like 30 names on each AL and NL and some Perfect. of the most obscure names. But so there are some obvious ones because I have no choice. But there's, you know, like Rodolfo Castro for the Pirates. Who? Yes. Exactly. Yep. But <laughs> well, they got him, Anthony Alford. There's a lot of guys there in Pittsburgh for yeah. sure. Michael Chavis. Uh. <laughs> I, lo- I wrote about him already this year. Don't you worry. As a late round second base target in DC. So I get Give it. me Travis Swaggerty, though. I really do like Travis Swaggerty. They're super aggressive with him, and he yeah. he's just come off an injury, though. Anyway, there's some more well, there's names. A, some... There's a lot to like, but yeah, go check out Mike's article over at theathletic.com. Not, not yet. Not yet. It's not well, out yet. When it's, it comes out, it. when it comes out, obviously, but he's got other great work. He's got his his uh, rosters coming out when games start this Thursday for spring Gosh. training. Bittersweet. So once so again, once again, before we leave, Mike, plug all your good stuff. All right. Well, you, I mentioned it. I have the the forty man roster articles coming out. One for the AL, one for the NL, both with at least twenty five names on it. I think more on the NL side, believe it or not. I don't know. It's maybe it's because they just added the DH, so I had more to write about. Um, I have. The lineup stuff obviously starting Thursday with the chart, which I just tweeted out this morning, which thank you for retweeting, Bubba. And I will be doing weekly write-ups for The Athletic on the lineup stuff, a more in-depth look, position battles, all the other stuff that we look for, again, focusing on lineups and the offensive side of things. Um, That's pretty much all I have going on. Obviously, skplaybook.com is what me and George do co-own together, and we have a Discord community for those interested. We appreciate anybody who joins that. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much everything, I think. I don't know. Again, just always busy doing something. I was trying not to be this guy this, this year, Bubba. I was trying I not to. I know, I know, but you are because that's who you are. And it's spring great training. Spring training yeah. was thrown at me. I, I was purposely picking up stuff to do because we didn't have spring training. And then, oh, wait, CBA sign. Now I'm like, oh, cool. Sweet. <laughs> well, I, I understand that on the roto baller uh, writing chart i have about seven things i signed up for because i thought we'd be bored and uh, i haven't got to any of them because i've been doing breaking trades and signings every night this week but uh <laughs> we will keep coming at you with more news as there's more news to come as i mentioned lots of guys still gonna get signed lots of trades to happen there will be much more fun to discuss plus the normal bench with bubba shows each and every well couple times a week for you as we get going but uh once again mike curlin at Mike underscore Curdlin on Twitter. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me, buddy. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. All right, everybody. It's Bench with Bubba, episode 449, your MLB hot stove update. Catch you guys later. <laughs> <laughs>